The Tuesday nights closest to Rosh Chodesh, as you know, we veer away from the Garden of Amuna. We go talk about the Rosh Chodesh energy. As you know, Sunday and Monday was Rosh Chodesh. This Tuesday is the closest to that Sunday and Monday that just passed. So this Tuesday, we're not talking about the Garden of Amuna topic, but as we saw in the Facebook event, invite, we're talking about the month of Adar. This year, we did have a double header. We had the first month of Adar, which allowed me to talk about the eye of the fish, because the month of Adar is all about the fish and what that means in Jewish tradition. And then this week, we're going to talk about Mazal, Yiddish Mazal. So today, it's not Garden of Amuna class, it's Rosh Chodesh class, and it's about Yiddish Mazal. Today's refreshments were sponsored by Mr. and Mrs. Dave Jove, and uh, those who enjoyed it before. And those after, please, it's in their merit of their family. They should live and be happy and healthy and succeed in all they do. So, an interesting law, a simple law. If you're facing a court case, this isn't in the books of Kabbalah. This is actually in the books of Jewish law. So it's not uh, just, I'm using the word just here a little facetiously. It's not just mysticism. It's something that manifests itself in Jewish law which guides our life. That if someone has a court case, he should manipulate the date to fall out in the month of Adar. Because the month of Adar is the month of Yiddish Hamazal. Jewish luck. So we're going to talk tonight about Jewish luck. I'm going to talk to you about what luck is. I'm going to talk about how we connect with luck. That's what we're going to explore tonight. And most importantly, what we always try to do in this class is, practically speaking, what do we do with this? It really doesn't help any of us if we get very mystical, very abstract, very ideological, and you float out of here. The, game, the name of the game is to take something abstract, make it very tangible, have you walk out of here with your feet on the ground, your head in the clouds, and know how to act because of it. Any Torah class that does not affect your behavior is not the fulfillment of a Torah class. No matter what you're talking about, from the most esoteric teachings of angels to the most civil teachings of an ox goring a cow who has to pay for what, to anything you learn, a story in the Chumash. If it hasn't spoken to you on the practical level of your thought, speech, and action, Please understand, you did not experience what Torah is meant to do. So with that being said, we're talking about luck, we're talking about Jewish luck, we're talking about connecting with Jewish luck, but what does that have to do with us here? So, let's begin. What is mazal? What is luck? And in the books of Jewish mysticism, mazal is the circular infinite power. It doesn't begin with the linear, which begins from wisdom, understanding, knowledge. From there, it goes through the neck to the seven emotions and to the three garments. No. It actually comes from the corona. It comes from the skull crown that is above and surrounds your brain. Very, very different than the ten spherots, the ten emanations, which reflect itself in the 10 faculties of the human infrastructure. This actually is an encompassing power, not a linear permeating power. Now, 
The pros and the cons of any circular power is, number one, it's infinite. That's a pro. But with that, there's a con. There's a challenge. The challenge of a circular power is that it is always elusive. You can never really grasp it and digest it. It's always just beyond. I get it, I get it, I get it, I don't really get it. That is the challenge and the gift of the circular. In the circular power, there is no top and no bottom, there is no strong and no weak. Everything is equally infinite. Talk for a moment in the power of will. Ratzon is not a linear power, it's a encompassing circular power. Ratzon will can describe itself and manifest itself and drive any single one of your faculties equally. You can have a will to be able to understand Jewish mysticism and it will drive your intellectual capacities to far greater heights than you thought was possible. Please reflect for a moment on the difference of your intellectual capacity when you're learning something that interests you, that you really want to know, or something you just have to know to pass an exam. There is literally a difference in your intellectual capacity. When you want to understand something, just those connections in your brains, those crevices open up for you. Because willpower drives the faculties. Now that same power of will, by the way, can manifest itself in your feet muscle, as in, I am going to do the New York Marathon if it's the last thing I ever do. People look at your pot belly and they say, really? It doesn't make sense. But that's the beauty of the power of will. The power of will drives all your linear faculties. So the power of will is so infinite. It's circular. It touches anything and everywhere equally. It will bring out an infinite gift in anything that you decide to do. From the three intellectual lobes of your brain to your feet muscle. Anything. If there's a will, there's a way. The last thing you want to do is get in the way of a person with a mission, with a will, with a drive. And yet, probably out of every single self-help book I've read, whether it be economic, Napoleon Hill, Clement Stone, anything, any one of those, I'm going way back, or any other book I've read that has to do with self-help will always talk to you first about passion. If you don't have passion, it won't work. Because without passion, you're an amazing automobile without a starter and without gas. So you're a perfect museum item. But to make things happen, you must engage with the power of will. If you don't have the power of will, you're just a leaf blowing around in the wind. Call it mazal, call it whatever you want. It's not real. 
And all these books try to engage what it means to put a fire under your derriere. How do you do that? One of the most famous teaching books written by someone who won awards is called Teach Like Your Hair's on Fire. That's what we're talking about. Another book I just finished, Crush It, Jewish guy, Gary V. Same concept. If you don't have passion, don't start. So there's something about the power of will that obviously we can't really put our hands on it because if we all had the power of will, we would all be in a total different position. The experience would be awesome. Success of the entire globe would be awesome. So from that perspective, what do we do? How do you grab will? How can we give a shiur? There's an entire shiurim written on the intellect called chachma, wisdom, which is the right lobe, the artistic lobe, creative lobe. There's an entire books written on the left lobe, which is what we uh, work in the school system, to the good, the bad, and the ugly. We try to squash the right, and today, thank God, things are changing. But it's the analytical, methodological, cut the arts. One good thing, a Jewish mother will always tell her kids, who's trying to become an artist, well, are you kidding me? You're not gonna be able to make a living. Go into a profession, the left, the left side of the brain. But we know how to deal with that. We know how to deal with Chachma. We know how to deal with Bina. There's actually beautiful discourses of how to engage, develop, open up your Koach HaChachma, how to develop your Koach HaBina. But what do we do with that Koach HaRatzon? What do we do with that? It's so elusive. You try to get yourself to jumpstart a passion, and then you collapse. It, it seems to be, and, and that's what Gary V talks about in the Crush It, it seems to be a DNA thing he keeps on talking about. Your DNA, your DNA. I don't know what that's exactly supposed to mean. Are some of us genetically programmed to experience our power of will and some not? So it's kind of elusive. The encompassing factors of our life, the encompassing faculties are elusive. It's very hard to grab onto it. It's very hard to decide, just like I can work out all my other faculties, I'm going to work out my koach haratzon. Some people aren't competitive. Some people are uh, not, not, yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Some people with the slightest thing, they become competitive. It could be over a stupid conversation over coffee. I dare you, I dare you, and that's it, boom. Guys are competitive. You see that that song just burst out as if we're talking about the most important thing. When we're actually talking about a stupid dip. So how does that work? How do we train Ratzon? How do we develop Ratzon? So when we talk about encompassing things, there's a very interesting dichotomy on the plate here. It is infinite, powerful, will touch any one of your faculties, from intellect to feet muscles. And yet on the other hand, it's very elusive. That's why in many mystical teachings, the word mazal actually refers to the higher levels of your soul. Not the three lower levels which permeate your being, but the two higher levels. And the reason why it's called mazal in some Jewish mystical teachings is, if you know how you say a drip, in modern day Hebrew, you say zen nozel, it's dripping, it's leaking. And many teachings on mazal is that it is a drip 
from the subconscious circular levels of your soul, it drips into you. And sometimes you actually feel a drip coming from the subconscious to the conscious. Sometimes when you're driving on the 95 without any preparations, they're just drips, something from your subconscious level of your soul to your conscious level of your soul, and suddenly you feel very Jewish, very connected to the Jewish people, very connected to Torah mitzvahs, very connected to the land of Israel, but you don't know why. You were actually in the middle of listening to 97.3, The Foreigners. Where did this come from? It dripped. It's mazal, nozel, it dripped. So when you talk about this concept of mazal, it's very, very interesting. How do you touch it? How do you grab it? But yet it exists. So let me tell you one of the important things about mazal. The mazal, I told you, is encompassing. It's not linear. It's not permeating. Therefore, as we're soon going to get into, the approach to it cannot be the approach of the linear. For example, you're sitting down and you want to tackle a real difficult intellectual piece of Rambam. You're studying Maimonides right now. It's a difficult piece. You have to understand the law. I, I'm going to give you a figurative picture in your head, and, and, but this is real. You'll notice that when people are right now, they know they're going to get into a difficult piece of Talmud, a difficult whatever it's going to be. You'll notice them do this. Grab their sleeves, pull it up. What is that? By the way, have you guys ever noticed that? Okay, guys, let's get to it. What is that move? That move is a very simple move. It's a physical move that lets your metaphysical know we are now engaging, direct engagement. I am engaging directly with the issue. I'm going to push everything out of my mind. There will exist nothing but this one Toysvist who's been eluding me for the last two weeks, and i got to get to the bottom of it. That's what that movement really means. You pull up your sleeves and you let yourself know, engage. You can't do that with Mazal. You can't go to Publix, buy a lottery ticket, pull up your sleeves, I'm going to engage with Mazal. Six numbers, Lord, give it to me right now. Doesn't work that way. The engagement with Ratzon is very different than the engagement with any one of your ten inner faculties, the three intellects and the seven emotions. You can actually engage with the emotion of love. You have to be able to do that. Do you know why? Because there's a verse you say every single day. V'yahavta et Hashem elokecha. And you shall love God your God. If I can't right now decide I am going to engage with love, I want to arouse love. Then God can't command you to do such a mitzvah. So it's got to be something you can engage with. A different class in Hasidus, not for tonight. But there is no engaging with luckiness, at least for the beginning of this class. You can't engage. I'm now going to meditate and connect and engage and give birth to luck. I absolutely could do that with an emotion. I could, in the midst of an absolute argument with my better half, where emotions not called love 
are building up and stop myself and say, you know what? I'm right now going to end this and give birth to a deep love for my spouse. You could do that. We've spoken about that from this forum many a times. The pot, the handle, we spoke about it. You can't do that with luck. You can't say, right now I need luck. So I'm going to engage with luck. Because luck is an encompassing circular infinite. And that by definition means that it's beyond engaging. I'm just starting the class. Before we leave, we're going to have to learn how to engage because that's what I promised you. Let's go on to another topic. What is Jewish luck? The Talmud says, En mazali Israel. There is no luck for the Jewish people. That's what it says. Simply speaking, mazalot. I'm not talking about 1900 horoscope. But mazalot, the way we look at it is constellations. Constellations that work monthly, constellations that work weekly, and constellations that work hourly. In the Talmud Tractic Shabbat, it actually talks about that. It talks about a certain sage that was born on the Mazel Edom. What that means, that's a drive for blood. He became a shochet. It actually affects Jewish law. A certain hour on Friday night, we don't make Kiddush because that's Mazel Edom. I mean, this is just the constellation, the stars, the stars that float in the ninth orbit, which again is the encompassing power. So when we talk about mazalot and people being born under a lucky star, that does have a Jewish source. The, the Talmud and Shabbat speaks about different characteristics for people that were born on different days. If you're born on Sunday, if you're born on Monday, if you're born on Tuesday, Wednesday. But when it comes to the Jewish people, it says, En mazal Yisrael. Many different interpretations. One interpretation of En mazal Yisrael means that we're not subject to luck. Why? Because we have something called prayer. Luck begins and ends with the will, the predefined will that began in the six days of creation. Prayer takes you to the master of the will. You see, if you're just reading the book, then you're stuck with the book. But if you know the author, then you get beyond the book. The power of prayer is that you hear that son. You had this will, but you're the master of the will. I want you to change the will. When you connect to the essence, which is even beyond the master of the will, totally free, en mazal, Israel. So here the word en mazal actually is going to interpret not that there is no will, but here's a very interesting Kabbalistic teaching, ayin. Mazal Yisrael. Ayin, nothingness. You hear many times in Hasidus that creation is yesh ma'ayin, ex nihilo, something from nothing. Maimonides talks about it in the opening laws of his book, Mishneh Torah. That from which everything comes forth. Now, why is God called nothing? Very simple why God is called nothing. Because anything that defines the parameters and properties of a something is not applicable to God. So from that perspective, what I define as a something, God transcends beyond that. He defies that. So I have no choice but to call him nothing. Not the absence of, not void, but anything that defines something, he transcends that. I can't call him something. 
something is a definition. It has its properties, has its parameters. It has its form and shape. God has no form and shape. God has no properties. Thus, as creation, we are forced to call him nothing, iron. The nothingness from which everything comes forth. Now let's go back to that iron and stick it into the Talmudic verdict I just told you. Ayin, mazali Yisrael. What is the luck of the Jewish people? Is not the something. It's not the definitive divine infinite light. Because even though the divine light is infinite, the mere fact that I call it light and not darkness gave it already properties and parameters. So while all other nations and creations are all the product of the light. Because the Jew has the power of prayer and all that comes along with the soul, he connects to the ayin essence. If you connect to the ayin essence, that nothingness, then ayin mazal Yisrael, you're not stuck in a relationship of any predefined will, any predefined definition. So now we understand that it's not a negative statement of en mazal Yisrael, there is no luck. But rather, it is the ultimate definition, which is that it has no definition. That is the luck of a Jew. Ayin, Mazal Yisrael. Throw at you another verse that you may know. Famous chapter of Tehillim. Shira Malot Laharim. What do you say? Ma'ayin, Yavo Ezri. Where will my, salva my salvation come from? Ma'ayin, from where? Kabbalistic interpretation. It's not a question, it's an answer. Ma'ayin, from that essence, that nothingness, from there will come Ezri, my help. So now we're understanding that not only is Mazal for all creation a circular power, but in the circular power itself, there's levels. When we talk about luck of a Jew, we're talking about the ultimate essence. So if you can't wrap your brain around the lower level of mazal, circular, now we're talking a whole new level. <laughs> we're talking about ayin. Wrap your brain around that for fun. The ultimate essence is the ultimate darkness because revelation is a limitation. Revelation needs to be descriptive. If not, it's not revelation. So we're talking about the ultimate absence of revelation, which is why we say upon God, he sits in darkness. Not because it's the absence of light in a negative way, but it is the ultimate essence which has no revelation. It is. Thus, we're talking about the highest level that can be mazal. Which leads us back to the question we were talking about. How do you connect with this? Is it just you either got it or you don't? Let's go back to my friend Gary V <laughs> from winelibrary.com, crush it. It's in your DNA or it's not in your DNA. You're either a predator or you're not a predator. It's just your mazal. Are you a hunter or are you the hunted? 
That can't be what the halacha is telling us. So what is the ultimate luck of a Jew in the month of luck, Adar? And more importantly, how do you connect with it? What can you learn out of tonight beyond knowing that those who got it, they really got it because they're at the top of the line, ayin, essence, all. What do we learn out of this tonight? I told you before that when it comes to the linear, finite revelation faculties, you need to engage. You can't sit with your feet kicked up on a chair, half lackadaisical smoking, uh, cigarette, drinking, with a big Talmud over there trying to, yeah, I got it. You need to engage. You need to actively engage. Put your feet back on the ground, sit up like a mensch, move forward, put out the cigarette, engage. But here's what's interesting about the circular, you see? Because the linear is where you have to put eight ounces of water into an eight ounce cup. The circular is where you throw an eight ounce cup into the infinite vast ocean. A total different type of engagement. Let me say it to you this way. There's an engaging where you grab on and there's an engaging where you learn to leave go. Let me quote, for those of you who know the famous Pogo. We have found the enemy and it is us. The enemy of luck is us. Unlike intellect and emotions. The only thing that can get into the way of luck for a Jew is that individual Jew. Because if you try to stick the ocean into an eight ounce cup, it won't work. So if you're still trying to egotistically, arrogantly engage holding the cup and trying to stick the ocean into the cup, don't quetch. How come everyone around you has mazel and you don't? One of my famous sayings, right? If life's a bowl of cherry, why are we in the pits? That's the situation. Because when you're dealing with the infinite circular and you're trying to engage with it as if it's a hard piece of Gemara and I know that I can do this and I'm going to errantly keep on locking horns with it until I engage it, until I get it, it won't work. The process of engaging with the infinite circular is very different than engaging with the finite linear. And thus you realize that the one thing that's standing between me and luck is me. Because I am finite, I feel in control when I deal with my ten finite faculties. And all I'm trying to do is apply what worked in my world of wisdom, in my world of emotions, to my world of the circular luck. It doesn't work. Not only it doesn't work, it's actually counterintuitive, counterproductive. 
You don't get to the bottom of luck, engage with it that way, and digest it that way. So what you really need to do to engage with luck, I told you it's not a Garden of Amuna class, right? But here is the answer. Faith. Stop trying to understand. Start believing. Because understanding is an eight-ounce cup. Einstein, a nine-ounce cup. But that's what it is. Faith is the human service and engagement of the infinite. Learning to leave go and trusting is what you need to do if you want a cup in the ocean. Told you the story before. Guy falls over the cliff, hanging on to the branch, right? God, I'll do anything. I need a miracle. Right? And God says, a voice comes out, do anything I tell you? Yeah. Leave go of the branch. <laughs> and then you know the end of the joke, right? The guy looks up. Anyone else up there? It's a problem. You see, because when you don't need luck, when you still think that you're arrogantly in control, then the stupidest thing to do is something called faith, because that would be reckless. So let me tell you a story, a story of a very famous family in Canada, very wealthy family, the brothers, the Reichman brothers. And someone was sitting with the two of the Reichman brothers by a Sheva Brachot, by a seven-day party for a Chatan Kala, a, a groom and a bride after they get married. They were family members, they're sitting there with him. So they start nudging, no, 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 give us a tip, how do you do it, how do you do this? So one of the brothers refused to engage in the conversation. The other brother saw that this nudnik is not going to back off, so he answered him, you want to know, I'll tell you. 98% mazel, luck, and 2% seichel, brains. The brother who refused to talk all of a sudden piped up, and all we do is pray that that 2% intellect should also turn into mazel. Rich people, by the way, really successful rich people know that. They know it's all about mazel. And mazel is about doing everything you can and then getting out of the way. Not doing everything you can is not going to work. It's just God refuses to work with you that way. But doing everything you can and expecting to supersede the laws of intellect won't work. To supersede, you need to engage circular. Circular is about leaving go, not about grabbing on. So you need to go to every workshop there is in your field of profession. You need to become the darnest best there is in your profession. And then you need to get out of the way. Because, remember Pogo, we have found the enemy and it is us. Now, were this to be not a Chabad class, I would stop here, and it's very interesting, very nice, faith, leave go, let go of the branch, no, beautiful. But Chabad can't stop here. Because we need to internalize even the encompassing. That's what Chabad is all about. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. So I want to take you to the Rebbe's approach to a bumper sticker. 
One of the most famous bumper stickers you would have in the Jewish world is a saying from the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. Think good and it will be good. Trach good and said sein good. It's a great bumper sticker. But how real is it? Oh, it's real. How does it work? I, I don't know. You know, just let go. Believe. Not in the world of Chabad. The Rebbe has an entire edited sicha just on this one saying. The Rebbe, blessed memory, approaches this from such a profound point of view. What does it mean, think good and it will be good? <laughs> By the way, for pessimists, that is the most annoying thing you can do to them. <laughs> what, 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 don't worry, it'll be good. What do you mean, it'll be good. <laughs> you know, that's where the choice is homicide or suicide. One of us got to go. The planet ain't big enough for the two of us no more. But that's what happens. It's annoying. Think good, it'll be good. <laughs> whoop de do. The Rebbe's approach is as follows. What does it mean, think good? Think good is exactly what we were just talking about. Get out of the way. Do you know what the one biggest problem with think good is? That we know all too well that we're not deserving of it. Uh, we won't admit that in public. I'm talking about when you go home at night. And the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, creeps up on you. You? You deserve mazal? You deserve a miracle? You deserve the transrational? And then he starts throwing at you all the statistics. It didn't help this one. Why would it help you? And that one and this one, all the statistics, right? That's what gets in the way because it's all about me, 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 me. What I know, what I understand, what I deserve. The Rebbe's approach to think good will be good is actually can you stop thinking about you and start thinking about God? It isn't about what you deserve. It's about God's nature, if we can use that word. God is good and God does good. Those are the words we say on the high holidays. He is good and he does good. Not because you deserve it, because he is good and he does good. When you approach God from that perspective, you understand what's happening? You're not showing God what kind of big, powerful eight-ounce glass you have. You're talking to God about his infinite ocean. It, I will tell you painfully firsthand, is the most difficult exercise for people who are quote-unquote thinkers. Because the one thing thinkers get ultimately annoyed by is when you're talking to someone who's got the attitude of, don't confuse me with the facts. It drives us nuts. But that's exactly what we're talking about. 
stop with your humanistic facts. We're talking to God here. You're not asking for someone to invest money into your project, and now you have to prove them logically, strategically, human to human, talking, logic, seichel, you want my money, what do you think? I didn't make my money by being a fool. Bring me stuff to the table. Show me what, when, where. So God isn't a potential investor. We're not talking to God human to human. We're talking to God human to God. More importantly, forget the human. We're talking to God. So stop talking to God, human nature. What I'm trying to say is, stop making God get into your sandbox, down on his knees, act like a kid, and expect him to be God. So the engagement of Mazal is let go. Let go about you and what you've done and what you need and how you this and your dad. It does make sense. Statistics. I, I know what I did. I know I don't deserve it. And this is a punishment. Tikkun, kapara. All that is human language. Leave go of it if you want to engage with mazal. Because if you're asking God for tikkun, God's a good person, a good God. You're asking for tikkun? Okay, here's some tikkun. Deal with it. But we don't want to engage with tikkun. We don't want to engage with kapara. We don't want to engage with logic. We're talking mazal. So let me tell you a beautiful story. Mazal and logic. Luck and logic were walking in the forest at night. And it was time to lay down. Mazal plops himself down right in the middle of the road. And logic tells luck, what are you, nuts? In the middle of the road? In the middle of the forest? There's no lights? You're going to get killed. So he does the logical thing. He walks off the road, goes to a tree, and lays down to sleep. Along comes the car in the middle of the night, sees Mazal, swerves off the road, and guess who he kills? Logic. Does it make sense? No. But if you want to engage with Mazal, stop trying to only make sense. Learn to leave go of the branch. Learn to stop thinking from your paradigm, because humans don't understand luck. Luck transcends intellect. But intellect's engagement, engagement with luck is by shifting the paradigm from the egocentrical to the theocentrical. Let's stop talking about how hard I worked and how much I deserved and look at that, this person's a nobody and a nothing and look at them and me and what and stop, stop. Stop with that, it's not getting you anywhere. It's just making your 8-ounce cup turn into a 7-ounce cup. And when you do have a 7-ounce cup and it's full with something, how do you expect to put something else in there? So it's full of resentment, jealousy, entitlement. There's no room for any bracha. Forget about luck. Even logical bracha, there's no room for it. But if you're talking about infinite mazal, throw the cup into the ocean. Tracht gut. Engage absolutely engage that regardless of who I am and what I've done God loves me because God is a lover period end of story God is good God does good God loves and even when God is engaging 
in the left attribute of strictness, judgment, tikkun, here's an amazing twist that the Rebbe has. The Baal Shem Tov said that God cannot punish you when you have the type of faith of think good that I just spoke about. So when God wants to punish you, this is a teaching from the Baal Shem Tov. God removes faith from you. Suddenly, you really are struggling. You just don't feel the faith no more. And God is doing that because if he doesn't do that, he can't punish you. And all the angels in the left camp called Gabriel, not bad angels, they are very powerfully standing up for the honor and glory of God. They don't mean to hurt you, but you can't let things run ownerless here. So there's a process to Gavriel, which comes from the word givura, strength, justice. Justice works hand in hand with punishment. And when those angels step up and start dominating the situation of demanding that this and this individual should be punished, the only way to punish a person is by taking away that faith. Because if the person still has the power of not focusing on his eight-ounce cup, but on God's infinite ocean, then God cannot punish him. Tracht gut, wird sein gut. He's engaged with the infinite essence of goodness, which knows no difference between sin and mitzvah. It is good. So when the engagement of punishment needs to begin, it must begin by God robbing the individual from that power of faith. What do you do then? The answer is, dochak v'nichnas. Now, more than ever, you need to leave go. As I'm feeling my faith in God's goodness slip away, I have to leave go even of that and just adamantly say, I believe in God's goodness. The mazal of a Jew, the mazal of Adar, that which is non-changeable because it doesn't come from constellations, it comes from the essence, ayin, me'ayin, yavo ezri. It comes from the dark essence which has no description. Light and darkness, good and evil, Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Nothing makes a difference at that ultimate level of love. And the only way to engage with that is na'aseh v'nishma. I've accepted long before I heard and understood. And even though logic is taunting me, justice is taunting me, I don't engage with that. I adamantly close my ears, pump up the music, and don't listen. I have no answers. I cannot engage in discussion and debate because the minute I do, I've already lost my connection to true luck. I've already introduced the eight-ounce cup 
and now there's no room for the infinite luck. So the more it itches away and nibbles at me and doubts me and taunts me and makes fun and all that stuff, my answer is disengagement. Leave go of the branch. I have a friend, a classmate of mine, spent two years with him in Venezuela. He always had a fun saying. We used to laugh at him. Whenever he'd get into a debate with someone, you're right, but let me tell you why you're wrong. That's a powerful tool. When doubt creeps up, you're right, but let me tell you why you're wrong. Disengage. Leave go of the branch, throw the cup into the ocean. So let's recap. What I'm telling you here is that the challenge of luck, the power of luck, we all know. The challenge of luck is that the rules of engagement is the exact contrary to everything that us humans call the law of engagement. <laughs> There's more women here than men, so I don't mean to start up with you women, but you women know this, right? Playing hard to get is the best way to chase a man, right? <laughs> we'll leave that for tonight. But that's kind of what I'm talking to you about. Sometimes disengagement is the ultimate engagement. Sometimes getting out of the way is the best way to open yourself up for it. So when you're dealing with the circular, don't use your regular masculine predatory engagement skills because you're going to scare luck away. Show luck an eight ounce cup and it's going to run. Infinite luck does not want to be cramped into an eight ounce cup. Leave go. Throw your cup into the ocean. And when you need a meditation to open yourself up to leave go, it's again with the disengagement. I'm going to stop thinking about myself and what I deserve, what I've done, where I've been. Forget the statistics. I'm going to shift it from me to God. And God has a whole different set of statistics. God has a whole different set of who deserves and who doesn't deserve. And the ultimate, the ultimate vessel for deserving luck is simple, infinite faith. And with that, I finish this class by wishing each and every one of us good luck.